Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome everyone in the United States and around the world to Disability Matters. I am so excited about the listening audience from around the world. Oh my goodness, you know, China is really taking off. But then there are all these other <clears throat> countries from Rwanda to Australia where we have listeners. So some of those countries, we may only have one person, one of the 17 countries. And you know what I say on every show? You matter. You matter and you are making a difference, but you can make a big difference. Tell other people with disabilities about this show uh, because you know what we want everyone to know? That people with disabilities have dignity, quality of life. Please share it with other people. Um, and, you know, I have these great friends from the State Department. I have uh, Richard Roberts, who I first met in South Korea and is now in Kazakhstan. I'm sorry, Japan, Benjamin in Kazakhstan. Uh, Cheryl Harris in, well, she was in Tunisia. Now she's with the State Department. So Ganyang in South Korea, Richard in Japan, although he's leaving Japan, so he'll be going on his next destination. I want to tell you about these people. They're with the State Department or like Benjamin, he's an on-the-ground disability rights leader who worked in conjunction with the State Department are all great people. And Benjamin, I'm thinking about you. I know being in Kazakhstan that uh, this is a very tense time. And to all of our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine, especially people living with disabilities, my headquarters are in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Of course, the radio show is heard around the world. But you know what? No matter where we are, we are with you in Ukraine. We're behind you. And kudos to all those great people. I'm on the board of the World Institute on Disability that are working to try to help people with disabilities get out of that country So, uh, and get resources to everyone. So uh, just want you to know that. And, of course, every show, every show for years now, special shout-out to Yoshiko Dart. Yoshiko. You know why I do this every every show. Number one, because I love you. But number two, I'm trying to make sure we keep the history and life of Justin Dart alive. And Yoshiko, uh, widow, wife of Justin, also is a disability rights leader. But I know, Yoshiko, I know what you're doing right now. You're saying, hello, Joyce, lead on. I know it. I don't even have to be there. I know it. I'm positive. Uh, and I love you, Yoshiko. And our great sponsor, Highmark, lead sponsor for the past six years, uh, not quarterly, not part of something, but lead sponsor. Thank you so much. Having you uh, as the sponsor has meant so much to me for so many years. Well, I am so excited today with the two guests we have. I know both of them. I know one of them 
very, very well and I've been friends with for a long time uh, and love her so much. And that is Helena Berger, the chair of the board uh, of directors, first chair for the FDR Memorial Legacy Committee and Mary Doolin, my new friend, who is the executive director and co-founder of the FDR Memorial Legacy Committee. Uh, both of you, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joyce. This is Helena. We really appreciate this opportunity, and I want to, um, I guess, let you know that uh, I share the love that we have between each other, and it's just good to uh, to be part of your show today. So thanks so much. Oh, and, and I and I thank you, and I echo that too. Thank you, Joyce, for this opportunity, and uh, to your growing listenership, and as well uh, with tremendous uh, respect and honor to Yoshiko and the memory of Justin Dart. Thank you. You're welcome, and, and uh, it's a privilege for me to have both of you on, Helena Berger. We have been friends for so long. And I cannot tell you how happy I am to congratulate you as being the first chair of the FDR Legacy Committee. And if you don't know, and we're going to have Helena tell her story here in a minute, but Helena Berger, who I met uh, when she was chief operating officer and then, of course, ended up being the CEO of AAPD, uh, is the is a great disability rights leader and she lives it she lives it she really really uh cares and has passion and is such a kind person uh and my friend and i am just so excited for you helena but since we do have listeners throughout the united states and around the world would you start by telling our list our listeners about how and why you became a disability rights advocate, Helena, and um, also, Helena, you, I was thinking about this, you really were with AAPD from the beginning. So after you tell us how and why you became a disability rights advocate, uh, maybe you could also tell us what it was like building AAPD from where it was to when you left? Sure, happy to. Um, so I, I've been a disability rights advocate now for for over 30 years, which is, which is hard to believe. I like to say I started when I was 10, but unfortunately that's not true. But how I started my disability rights career was, um, I'll try to keep this short because I know we don't have a lot of time, but my first, um, I moved to the Philadelphia area and there was a, job announcement in the Philadelphia Inquirer for a government relations position, and I was a political science major. And um, I found that very intriguing, and you didn't see a lot of um, job openings for government relations positions in Philly, unlike, you know, Washington, D.C. And it was for an organization called Eastern Paralyzed Veterans Association, uh, which is now the United Spinal Association. So I interviewed and I got the job and I became an advocate in their Philly office. And full disclosure, I'm not a person with a disability. To be honest, I had no connection to disability. This was a whole new world. And when that world opened up to me and I realized 
there were, you know, millions of people on a regular basis that were being, you know, discriminated and the inequities and the, you know, injustice. Um, I couldn't believe it. I just could not believe that I wasn't aware of this. Somebody who I thought, you know, understood civil rights and social justice movements. And, um, you know, I just, um, like I said, I was appalled. And from that day forward, I, uh, you know, I became very passionate about disability rights. And um, it became my lifelong career, like I said, as well as my lifelong passion. And from, so I became the advocacy, um, I became an advocate in the Philadelphia office of Eastern Paralyzed Veterans Association and then got promoted to uh, run their, uh, become the director of advocacy. And when I moved to um, to Washington, D.C., that's when I um, began my career with, with AEPD. And as, as Joyce mentioned, um, I ultimately, for many, many years, was the chief, op- chief operating officer. Uh, when I started at, at AEPD, it was 1997. The organization was just a couple of years old. And to be honest, it was, you know, a young, floundering organization like many startup nonprofits, and I left um, 20 years later as the president and CEO, and, um, you know, the organization went through trials and tribulations and lots of successes, and, you know, we had some progression and regression, and I I actually came back to do a a second stint at, at APD in 2015, and we were sort of going through some hardship, and when I left, uh, in 2019, I was, you know, proud to say that the organization was on very sound financial footing. We had really strong programs, and I, I left the organization. I decided to retire and felt, uh, you know, extremely gratified what the staff and certainly the board, jo- uh, Joyce being, you know, one of the leaders on our board, what we were able to accomplish. And I would now say that, you know, AAPD is a leading disability organization um, in the United States. Well, yes, it is, and you were the major part of that. I want to say one other thing about Helena. Helena not only brought us through uh, difficult times and, you know, really built up the organization, not just financially, but in the community, worked very hard to make sure that she had the disability community grassroots aligned with us. And, and Helena, you know, was saying how she doesn't have a disability. She is universally accepted uh, into our family as a person with a disability. Even though she doesn't have a disability, it doesn't matter because she is the real deal. And uh, Helena, I thank you for all the hard work you did with AAPD for years. And guess what, Helena? Remember, Bender Consulting, 1995. We have the same date that AAPD was founded as Bender was. That's why I always want to know how old they are. Uh, I always thought that was amazing. But uh, anyway, okay, now Mary Dolan, another fireball. Mary, how about you? Why, uh, how and why did you become a disability rights advocate? Sure. Thank you so much. Um, 
Well, there's something very auspicious about the year 1995, it seems, because that's the year that I started at the National Organization on Disability. I was fresh out of graduate. Is that amazing? Yeah, that's quite something. Uh, And which is also the year that uh, NOD, uh, National Organization on Disability, when NOD started its campaign for the FDR wheelchair statue. There's, I don't know, maybe play that number in the lottery tonight. But um, I was fresh out of graduate school looking to work in a place to help make the world uh, a better place and wound up being uh, very attracted to this organization that was uh, doing domestic work uh, on disability rights but also international work. Uh, later in life, I would uh, become diagnosed as a person with disability uh, but from that day one, uh, like Helena, felt um, a kinship and a draw um, to this community, and uh, the and and recognizing that it was one of those uh, communities that not enough people understood what was really going on. So um, I feel very fortunate that I uh, stumbled upon that that work. Um, and frankly, also that I received the diagnosis I did, which has been a major, uh, major benefit in, in being able to manage my life. Um, so, as I said, I started in 1995, and one of the first projects was uh, my bosses were upset about this memorial that was being built uh, called the FDR Memorial. And uh, they weren't going to show President Roosevelt in a wheelchair. And so I dutifully did all the things I was supposed to do as a staffer. And uh, six years later, so a very long six years later, I was also there when we prevailed. And I don't mean just we as in those who worked at NOD, but I mean we, the entire disability community, because uh, one of the things that Jim Dixon did, who was the grassroots organizer, was to get over 50 disability organizations from across the country to endorse uh, the campaign. So the big, big we, we prevailed uh, against all the powers that be, uh, against all the odds and got a statue and paid for it, mind you, and paid for it, uh, got a statue put into the FDR uh, memorial, which uh, shows the president as he was a disabled person as one in five, or sometimes it's, it's quoted one in four uh, people in the United States, uh, a quarter percent, a quarter of all people around the world. Um, have a disability. So did so did FDR, President Roosevelt. And um, so I'll just quickly say in 2001, after that statue was dedicated, we all went on our merry way. I continued doing disability work. I did a stint teaching, um, teaching students with disabilities, uh, became a mom, got my diagnosis, uh, learned to live in different ways. Um, And then we realized we needed to make sure that we documented our history about the fight for that wheelchair statue uh, because it is part of our disability history. It's part of American history. It's part of the history of that memorial. And um, I wanted to make sure that all the folks who came before me who uh, brought me along for the fight and taught me how to be an advocate, get remembered, and their story gets remembered and gets passed on, not just within our own community, which I'm, I'm passionate about, but to everybody who walks through or rolls through or uses a cane or a guide dog or God knows what to get through that memorial, that they know that that memorial was completed by the blood, sweat, and tears of disabled people.
Well, and that is such a great story. I want to ask you now, Mary, when this decision was first made, you know, that there would not be a chair, that he would be, what, how are they going to depict him then? Mm -hmm. Sure. The, he, um, for those who might be familiar, or you could even just do a quick, quick Google search, the, one of the first, uh, the statue that was first in, put in place at the memorial, it's still there, it's by Neil S. Stern, um, who is a, a well-known sculptor, and it's a very large, uh, as it's called, heroic statue of FDR, which means it's just huge, oversized. He looks like a, he's a giant. He's got his uh, conference, Yalta conference cape. He's sitting in a chair. And what we were told was, well, look behind the chair and you'll see a little wheel or a caster. And, well, that's the kind of wheelchair he used. So you all must be, you know, satisfied with that. And, uh, you know, I certainly have sat in, I sit in a chair with wheels every day, it's, but it's not a wheelchair. <laughs> um, FDR sometimes used a, a kitchen chair with a wheel on it, but guess what? He also used a, a good old-fashioned metal wheelchair as well. Um, so we said, eh, we're going to call that one out. That's, that, that ain't no wheelchair. That's, let's get it, let's show it as it really was. Let's show a real wheelchair. So there's no question. So that's how they first tried to appease us. But, um, you know, we're a feisty bunch. We weren't having that. So where is that first statue? That first statue is in, uh, I think it's considered room three. It's in the FDR Memorial. And, uh, you know, it's quite something. It's a haggard-looking FDR. Uh, it's the wartime FDR. Uh, any one of us would be looking as haggard as he does. Um, it's also on a step, uh, on a pedestal, which, you know, uh, reduces access for, for many. Um, it also is, like I said, heroic. It's, it's huge. So if you are a person who's relying on uh, your tactile senses to experience something, unless you're uh, going to start climbing that statue, you're not going to really experience what, what it really looks like, feels like uh, from a tactile experience. And, but that is I, in that memorial. Okay, because I mm -hmm. want all, you know, so that are, uh, and it's a beautiful memorial. Of course, I saw the statue that is most important is with the wheelchair. And that is just unbelievable uh, what you went through, Mary. That is unbelievable what the mm -hmm. disability mm -hmm. community went through. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. Helena, mm -hmm. you were probably involved with this, right? Um, so APD back then, I mean, we were supportive. Of obviously what NOD is doing, but I think, you know, as part of the communica uh, community, but clearly, uh, you know, leadership and staff at NOD, you know, really led the charge here and led the grassroots movement and really, uh, you know, made it happen. So I have to give NOD, you know, a huge shout out and kudos. And, you know, the one, the one thing that I, I love about FDR and his statue is that's the first thing that greets visitors when you enter the memorial. So to me, it's a very, very powerful message. I mean, look, we had a fight for it. We won. And now, if you haven't been at the memorial, when you enter the memorial, it's the first thing you see. So again, I think it's, you know, it's very powerful. I think it sends a strong message that we had this, you know, amazing leader 
and he led from his wheelchair. Uh, I think it serves as an incredible, you know, role model for uh, younger disabled um, people. So, again, um, it was a hard-fought fight, but to have that be the first image and the first thing you see when you enter the memorial, I think there couldn't be a better placement for it. And it is. It is beautiful. It really is beautiful. Um, As a matter of fact, Helena, why don't you describe it, since we're talking about it, if you could describe the uh, park. And then, Mary, I had another question. I'll be back to you. But for our listeners, I know when I was there for the event last year, I thought, wow, it's so beautiful here. Uh, But describe it for those, not just in the United States, but listeners around the world. uh, Sure, absolutely. And I I would, you know, recommend for folks who, you know, live outside of D.C. and the U.S. I mean, certainly you can go on to um, the website and there are, you know, some great descriptions and and photos. Uh, But it is, uh, I know I'm biased, but even before I became board chair and affiliated with the FDR Memorial Legacy Committee, um, the FDR Memorial was always one of my, my favorite memorials because it is beautiful. I mean, it's it's set up as four open-air rooms uh, that represent FDR's four terms. So you'll have, like, you know, the first room where uh, when he launched his presidency, it would be like it would be the New Deal. And you'll see men representing, you know, the bread line. And then it'll go into, um, you know, his... Fireside chat speeches, and then you know, room three would be, you know, during World War II, and it'd be representative of that. And then you know, his his last term, uh, which would have been his fourth term, you know, was is representative of his death. But back to the beauty of it, um, I mean, there are waterfalls. There's, it's just, if I'm not mistaken, um, the FDR Memorial Commission selected a landscape architect. Uh, named Lawrence Halperin to design the memorial in 1974. So that resulted in a lot of trees and, again, waterfalls and quiet alcoves. So you sort of feel like you're in a sometimes like a secluded garden, especially if the memorial is not crowded, um, than more of a traditional memorial that you may see, for example, like the Lincoln Memorial or the Jefferson Memorial. And I love the memorial as much as at night as I do during the day. I highly recommend that people see it both in daylight and in the evening. Um, so, again, it is beautiful. Um, it's one of my, my favorites. And I think, you know, I know we'll probably get into this a little more, but I think you know, some of the work that the FDR Memorial Legacy is doing is around, you know, preservation of the memorial, which I think is going to be really critical because the memorial is sitting by the tidal basin, and there's a lot of flooding that's happening, and um, the memorial could be, you know, severely damaged or, or underwater. So the, the, the future work of this committee is going to be really, you know, crucial to making sure we preserve uh, this incredible memorial and what it represents. Yeah, and you know what? Um, well, first, I wanted to, I forgot to ask you this, Mary. The Roosevelt family, were they involved with this from the beginning? Mm-hmm. Um, well, they have been involved in the entire story of the FDR Memorial since since the beginning, definitely. 
Um, they were also involved and endorsed the campaign back in the 90s to add the wheelchair statue. Um, and then for this new iteration, the FDR committee, uh, we uh, very much enjoy uh, the uh, endorsement from the Roosevelt family. We have three family members who serve on our advisory board, uh, Ann Roosevelt, Christopher Roosevelt, Jim Roosevelt, all of whom are grandchildren of Franklin and Eleanor and have been just tremendous. Oh, that is so, that is wonderful. Um, you know, Helena, I'll never forget when I talked to Mary, you know, over two years ago <clears throat> before I went for the first time. And she, I mean, to one of the events, I remember her telling me we have to worry about the statue being underwater. I'll never forget that because I thought, what? That's horrible. How could that even be possible? Um, because as you well know, you know, there are other memorials there you would never want to see underwater. So, I mean, Helena, what do you think about that? I just think that's terrible. Well, you know, Pete, no, it is. And that's why, you know, we need the FDR committee to uh, make sure we're representing the memorial and also whatever plans they finally come up with uh, that, um, you know, the disability voice is part of it. Because as you know, Joyce, um, you know, if we're not at the table many times, disability interests, accessibility, et cetera, um, are not built into these plans initially. But, you know, people need to remember that D.C. was a swampland <laughs> and things are sinking Water's rising, you know, we're dealing with climate change, so it's catastrophic and it's, it's horrible to think about, but yet when you think about it, it's probably not that surprising. What is surprising is, you know, by putting the FDR memorial there, by putting the, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. memorial there, they're like adjacent to each other, so that memorial could also be underwater. It was like, you know, what was the thinking by putting the memorials there? Uh, but nevertheless, we are where we are, and we have to have a, you know, strong voice again to make sure we're there to preserve the memorial. And like I say, I think just as importantly, represent the, the voices of our community. Yeah. It would be great to have, like, <clears throat> uh, Senator Dole and uh, Senator Casey and, and uh, Congressman Clyburn all involved with this. Do you know what I mean? Because Well, we do. I mean, so we do have Senator Harkin on our advisory committee. He's been serving as co-chair of our ADA, uh, listen to me, ADA 25th anniversary events. Um, I don't know, Mary, if you want to just talk a little bit about um, the involvement of Senator Duckworth and Representative mm -hmm. um, Eleanor Norton Holmes regarding the resolution that they passed. And, sure. You know, some sure, of the media sure. that yes. around that. Mm -hmm. Yes, no, absolutely. Um, so the, the three things that our committee is focused on is education, inclusion and accessibility, and preservation. And they all overlap. Um, you can't preserve things unless you're really, a, you, you understand them and we need to be inclusive. And if you don't preserve things, they will become they will not be accessible because so, so um, they're very overlapping, interweaving. Um, so one of the first things that we did try to tackle 
was the longstanding issue of access at, at the memorial for folks who are blind and low vision. Um, and we enjoyed um, the uh, interest from Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton and Senator Tammy Duckworth, who both in their respective uh, chambers introduced a resolution uh, recommitting the nation to the values of of the FDR memorial and the wheelchair statue, but also calling for improved access at the FDR memorial, which which has happened. Uh, there's been some some positive movements by the Park Service in putting in an audio tour, um, and they are so, uh, soon to launch uh, some tactile uh, materials that will be. Uh, available for folks to have a, a different way of, of appreciating and, and visiting the memorial uh, on site. Uh, we've been working with them and enhancing their their website, their um, the, the the verbiage that they're using, the language that they're using. So it's been a, a um, pushing on all different areas. Um, and when it comes to the, the preservation piece, um, that is um, something we most definitely will be. Uh, working with uh, friends who are up on the hill um, and in various areas. Uh, I mean, these are our nation's treasures. Nobody wants to see anything bad happen to any of them. And one of the things that we've noticed, and I think we all know, um, you know, you, you need you need to be there. You need to speak out. You need to be at the table. Uh, the FDR Memorial uh, deserves to be protected, as does the Martin Luther King Memorial, as does the Lincoln, the Jefferson, and on and on and on. Um, I understand that there's hard decisions that's going to be needed to be made in terms of how that protection looks, but um, we're we're uh, determined to help provide that disability voice. Uh, and help coordinate with other disability organizations to make sure that um, not only is the preservation piece inclusive of uh, people with disabilities, but, you know, when it's all said and done, that the access is still um, a priority uh, throughout the tidal basin. And as far and as far as we can uh, throughout the park system, um, frankly, we would like to be a, a model at the FDR Memorial of what inclusion and access looks like. Uh, in cultural sites. So that's what we're aiming for. Well, that's critically important. I mean, we we have to do that. <clears throat> you know, Helena, I always say to people, I'll say, you question whether a person with a disability can be a senior level accountant, but the president of the United States with four terms that led us through World War II had polio and used a wheelchair. What, I don't get that. Why, you know, why don't people get that? And the only thing I could think of is because somehow that wheelchair or disability is not in their mind. I don't know. Uh, I mean, one of the most powerful leaders in the world lived with a disability. I mean, what do you think about that, Helena? Uh I, I agree with you. I, you know, one, obviously, he hit it. And we understand those were different times. I cannot, um, you know, ridicule FDR for not wanting to, you know, proudly display his disability. Again, you know, that was very different times than where we are today. And even today, let's be honest, not everybody is open to and receptive to our, you know, political leaders having certain disabilities. 
Um, so, you know, stigma certainly still exists today. But I think you're right. So, one, he hit it. Um, and two, I don't think, to Mary's point around the education, I don't think it's something we talk enough about. You know, I'm even I'm trying to remember. I mean, I'm getting older, so I don't remember as much like when I was in grade school and, you know, my history. I mean, I am, I would imagine it probably came up, but probably not to the extent it should have. You know, one thing I will say that was encouraging, um, I met Mary at the FDR Memorial. We were doing a, a site visit for our events coming up, and while I was waiting for her, uh, this is just a few weeks ago. There are a number of schools that came through, and I started to hear. And these were the teachers who were giving the tours, not the National Park Service. And there were there was one teacher in particular who did a great job about talking about FDR and his chair and what that meant and accessibility. And I, you know, I felt somewhat optimistic to hear that. So if you know, and these these kids were. I don't know, you know, maybe junior high. So if they're starting to get that education and then they see that image and, they again, they have the right teachers, uh, you know, maybe we'll start changing hearts and minds. But, you know, all of us know this because we've all been doing dis- disability rights work a really long time. The hardest thing to change is attitudes. <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're, still, we're still fighting a lot of attitudes. We're still fighting a lot of, you know, stigma. And, you know, that's why I think the educational piece is, is so important. You know, last week, Andy Imperato <clears throat> said, uh, you know, I hate to hear that, you know, we have double the unemployment rate, but that doesn't bother me as much as 74% not being counted in the workforce because that means we're not, you know, it's not even between the pandemic and everything else. And I, I almost fell off my chair. I thought, what? It's higher than 70? I mean, what's this is terrible. How can this still be going on? And you know, Helena and Mary, we talk about this all the time, this stigma. And so if it's bad now, just as you said, Helena, think about what it was like when President Roosevelt was living. So I can tell you in school, because I'm older than you, I do not remember ever hearing about him being in a wheelchair. Yeah, in, I think it was just something I yeah, think me that, right, that wasn't talked about, you know, because again, there's mm-hmm. such negativity around the word disability. Um, that, yeah, I think, you know, I think it was intentionally, you know, omitted. That's why, like I said, when I was sitting there and this, you know, school group came through, this teacher really did, you know, I'm assuming maybe she was a history teacher. She just did such a great job about talking about FDR. And she even talked about, and I don't know if I mentioned this to you, Mary. I mean, this is one of the things I love. She talked about the fight. She said this wasn't here. Mm-hmm. You know, when the mm-hmm. when the memorial got dedicated in 1997, the disability community fought for it. And when I heard that, and I was actually with another colleague, and we looked at each other, I was with actually Jason Mida, Joyce, um, we looked at each other, and we just smiled. The fact that, you know, this teacher understands the history and understands how important it is to tell these students the history. 
But I don't think we see enough of that. No. No, we don't. We And, you know, Mary, when you were talking about this, making sure people know about this fight, you know, the disability community had, you, you know, that should be talked about more. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Whenever, like, even when oh, disability leaders are talking, that should be talked about more. Because a lot of times when you read, uh, and, of course, very important historic things that, you know, people like Judy Human and uh, Tony, Huello, and so many other people fought for. But, you know, we need to, I realize now this is after, this is, you know, after ADA was signed, et cetera. But that still is something we need to add to that history because that is really a big deal. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And and that's one of the initial reasons why I got uh, inspired to um, help set up this organization. At first, we just were thinking, well, we got to make sure we write our history and remember and remember who did what, right? Um, and uh, and then we wound up morphing into uh, a larger organization that is uh, the Friends Group for the entire FDR Memorial, but with this uh, very important through line of disability. And um, but you know, one of the things that we are doing is and we started it last year, is running teacher professional development workshops. I, I was a teacher for seven years, and so um, it takes some time. You know, you know what you know, and then, you know, you teach what you know, and you teach what Common Core tells you to teach. But if you're looking for new perspectives, which a lot of people, a lot of teachers are these days, you know, how do you teach these things with uh, different ideas of, of representation, different angles? Um, and a lot of states also are asking teachers to make sure they introduce uh, inclusion, diversity, uh, and disability into the classroom. So we are doing a two-day teacher professional development workshop with our partners at the University of the District of Columbia. It's going to be virtual again this year, where we walk the teachers through the story of the fight. We te we help them learn how to teach that. Uh, we have some master educators who are helping us sort of break down the pieces of, of the campaign and what could become uh, lesson plans. And in addition to that, we're also launching a, uh, a lesson plan packet uh, later this month, and it's called the D.C. Disabled Heroes. Uh, and it's just the start, so I don't want anybody's feelings to be hurt because we definitely have more people that we could write, write these lesson plans about. But we started with um, Mike DeLand, uh, Judy Human, and Thomas uh, County, who went by the name Mick, um, who all are individuals who were involved in various ways in the fight for the wheelchair statue and in the fight for disability rights overall. And so we are launching that, and we're going to uh, you know, work um, work our, our way to get that also into the hands of, of teachers and educators uh, around the country. So we've, our education is, is uh, the largest piece of what we do. Um, but with that said, uh, we believe that, again, remember, we have also inclusion and preservation are, are our two other prongs. Uh, everything that we do in education is from the uh, perspective of fully inclusive education. It's written with various ways to modify, to adapt. Uh, so it is written with that in mind. 
And we also believe that preservation does not just mean bricks and mortar. It means the stories. It means the narratives that will be lost if we don't get them down and write them and tell them. So um, we're always, that's all embedded within our education program. Oh, that is so exciting. Yeah, that, I think that is so important. Uh, well, Helena, we have a very important event happening in May. It's so exciting that I can't wait to be there for. Do you want to share with our listeners what we're doing? And by the way, I've, I want to tell everyone, I'm so honored to be on the uh, committee, to be on that advisory committee. I'm so honored because I think this is such a big deal. So, Helena, tell everyone what uh, what's going to be happening. Yeah, I'm happy to. And, yeah, Joyce, we love having you on our committee, and we also appreciate your sponsorship of uh, the event. So we are coming up on the 25th anniversary of the dedication of the FDR Memorial, not the wheelchair statue. This is the FDR Memorial. It was dedicated by President Clinton in 1997. So to commemorate that, we are holding three events. Two of them are going to be on May 10th, um, the evening, or I should say late afternoon, 4.30 on May 10th, we're going to be at the uh, Capitol Visitor Center, and we're going to have a, a panel discussion. It's going to be focused around um, the reflection on the past and the plan for the future. So uh, we, we sort of made a conscious decision. This is not, a mu- not as much about the FDR legacy, as, although, of course, it's going to get weaved into the discussion. Um, because a lot has been talked about, about his legacy. But we really felt that, especially in light of what's happening today, in today's world, where we see democracy being threatened in the U.S. and abroad, uh, you talked about, um, you know, standing shoulder to shoulder with our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Um, So we see what's happening again with, um, you know, authoritarianism and the invasion of Ukraine and, and what FDR stood for, you know, in terms of working with our allies, um, you know, protecting, you know, democracy. So that's going to be, you know, some of the focus and the importance around memorials and what they represent and to what um, Mary was saying, you know, it's a lot more than just brick and mortar. So uh, we're going to have Mary on the panel. We're going to have former Senator Tom Harkin. And oh, uh, we're also going to have Valerie Jarrett. And if people... Uh, if that name sounds familiar, Valerie Jarrett was a senior advisor in the Obama administration. And as our keynote, we're going to have the ambassador for Norway because there was a very unique and special relationship between Norway and, um, and FDR in the United States during World War II. So we're really excited about that. And I also want to mention um, our MC for all of our events is going to be Jonathan Capehart, who is... Um, Works for the Washington Post. He also has a segment on MSNBC, and if anybody watches the News Hour on Fridays, he's also on the News Hour. So he should be a phenomenal um, MC for us. Then that evening, we uh, we moved over to a cocktail reception on uh, 101 Constitution Avenue at 6:30, which has probably the best view of the Capitol and the city in all of Washington. And we're going to be um, honoring. Congressman Jim Langevin, who many people may realize, oh, uh, he is a that's great. Because he, he is retiring. Congressman Langevin from Rhode Island, who is a wheelchair user, um, is retiring. He is 
he's also the uh, co-chair of the Bipartisan Disability Caucus. So we do want to honor his his work and his um, long-term commitment to issues representing uh, people with disabilities. We're going to have um, Tony help us present that award, Tony Quello, um, one of the authors of the ADA. Uh, we'll have uh, Senator Bob Casey involved, and um, we'll also have some other speakers lined up. And then we move into uh, May 11th, where we'll actually have the anniversary event at the memorial at 11 o'clock. And uh, we're going to have uh, Speaker Pelosi present, as well as I, Jim, Ro uh, Jim Roosevelt, who I think, I'm not quite sure, I think we mentioned him earlier, but that is the grandson of FDR. He's a member of the advisory committee. He's been a uh, co-chair along with Senator Harkin. Uh, of our events committee. So he'll be present throughout these three events as well as Senator Harkin. We're going to also have the Ambassador of Great Britain at the event on the 11th. Um, and, you know, more, more to follow. But as you can see, it's an, it's an impactful and a, um, a full agenda and one that we're, we're really excited about because um, we really think, uh, one, I think it's going to be informative as well as fun and interesting. But because the FDR Memorial Legacy Committee is still a new entity and a new organization, I think it's a real opportunity for people to get to know who we are and, and why, you know, we're, we're so important and that hopefully people will want to stay engaged with our work and support us. Wow, this is so exciting. Oh, my goodness. Okay, let's start. First day is May 10th, right? First day is May 10th um, at the panel discussion that starts at 4.30, goes from 4.30 to 6. And then we go into a reception from, say, 6.30 to 8.30. And then on the 11th, the morning of the 11th at 11 o'clock is the actual um, event at the memorial. Okay. and the, But the other two events, did you say they're in different buildings? Yeah. They're, um, they're close by, yes. So... The moderated discussion is at the Capitol's, Capitol Visitor Center, and the reception is at 101 Constitution, and they're, they're fairly close by. This sounds it's so exciting. So exciting. So exciting. Um, and so if someone's listening right now and they want to attend, what do they have to do? We're going to have all of this posted up on our website. So we are fdrmemoriallegacy.com, and you will see some information on there. And, and if for some reason you don't, um, just shoot us an email, which you can get to that also from our, from our website, and uh, we'll direct you to the right spot. Okay. And, and is there and a... I just want to emphasize, Joyce, as far as the event on the 11th at the memorial, um, even if for some reason, you know, you, you don't have an opportunity to get onto the site and let us know you're coming, that's an open space. So there will be people there who that day just happen to be visiting the memorial that will stumble upon this event, which, again, I think is going to be great for us to just have the general public. I'm sure it will be like, oh, what's going on here? So 
I just wanted to mention that, you know, for that particular event, it's it's really open to everybody because, um, you know, the National Park Service won't let you make this an exclusive event. Um, so, I, again, it, that, that's sort of an easy one just to, you know, show up. <laughs> so I'm saying, I mean, could anyone attend that then? Yes. Technically, yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, yep. The memorial, like I said, is open to everybody and... And anybody can attend. Okay, I have another question. What if you want to make a donation? Mm, the web, uh, that's the website. A most welcome question. Yeah, our website, <laughs> again, so it's www.fdrmemoriallegacy.com. Um, and even if you just Google FDR Memorial, uh, we're one of the first couple of things that will pop up. Um, and there's a big yellow donate button um, um, on our on our um, website on our the homepage, and and um, so and there's lots of different ways uh, you can you can text it's still directed you could text to give you could if you want to just go shop on Amazon you can use Amazon Smile and donate to us. Um, in fact, you can even set it up so every time you shop on Amazon. You'll get, uh, you'll be making a contribution to to the organization. So I, that's how I, uh, that's how I do my Amazon shopping. Um, so that would be a, a wonderful way for people to to show their support for all of uh, the efforts that we're putting in. I'm really proud that, I mean, we are a small organization. We just got started in 2019, um, and we are the organization that is running, organizing the 25th anniversary for this tremendous presidential memorial. I mean, um, I, I we have come a really long way in a very short time. And I do want to uh, also do, I do want to thank you, Joyce, for being on our advisory board, because it's people like you that give us the, um, you know, the power and uh, the verve uh, and support to keep to do what we're doing. But I also want to take a moment uh, that I got to say I, I could not be um, more um, pleased than to have Helena as our inaugural board chair. Um, you know, I have never run a nonprofit organization before. Um, you know, I've worked for nonprofit organizations, but I've never been at the helm. So to have someone as seasoned and wise and caring and, and patient as Helena uh, is a true gift um, to, to me personally, but to the entire movement and to uh, this whole community. Um, I, I, I think everyone, I hope everyone coming up into this nonprofit world gets a Helena who can help, help them do what they need to do. Well, thank you, Mary. That's really... It's so true. My advice to you, uh, Mary, is with your bylaws, with everything you put together, don't have term limits. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Don't have term limits. Don't do that. That way you can keep Helena. You need Helena. I I actually, I tell people, when you're the chair of a new organization, I mean, come on. At the beginning, it's people don't even know who you are. I mean, really, it mm-hmm. takes years to do this. Helena, I would say at least 10. 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah, at least, Joyce, at least 10. I, I mean, yes, nothing less. You know, and, uh, as the, and as the board, I'd be remiss, and as somebody who's sort of trying to take the lead here with some of the fundraising we're doing for the, the committee and specifically for the anniversary event, no contribution is too small. We understand that everybody's budget is different, but if what we're saying today really resonates with you and you want to support us and, you know, you can make a contribution of $5 or $10, no, no contribution is too small, and we would be grateful to, to receive that and, and, and really appreciate that support. So I think sometimes people think, you know, oh, it's too small of a contribution to give, you know, and but it's not. Um, and a lot of those five and tens, you know, add up pretty quickly. So I just wanted people to realize that that uh, we would be grateful for any support if you um, if you'd like to to do so. You know, Helena, I'm really glad you did say that because I remind people if there's one thing we've learned from. Uh, Bernie Sanders, it's that there is no too small of a contribution. I mean, it adds up is what I'm saying. It's mm -hmm. that individual. Yeah, they may only give 20. They may only give 10. They may give five. I don't care what it is. It mm -hmm. matters. So, you know, don't feel like that. Reach out. Make a contribution. This is a very wonderful and worthwhile uh, organization and not-for-profit. So, first of all, Helena and Mary, it has been a pleasure having you on the show today. And please use this podcast, you know, on your own website. And to anyone else listening, you know there's a huge on-demand listening for those that can't listen live. And if you're thinking, oh, I wish so-and-so would have heard this, they can and share it with them. Share it with everyone so people can hear about right here, the first board chair and Mary telling us how this all started. So you got to save this podcast. So Helena and Mary, uh, Helena, what message do you have for our listeners? What message do I have? Um, I think my message would be, you know, what we're working on now and if you know anything about, you know, FDR and what he believed in as far as, you know, preserving democracy um, and equality, um, I think, you know, I think in today's, in today's environment and in today's politics and, and even globally, we see a lot of his values being devalued and disintegrating. So I would hope people would take the time to maybe get a little educated. He wasn't perfect. None of us are. So I want to just, that's my caveat, not a perfect human being. But a lot of what he represented is, I think, values that we should all uphold. And I think if, if more of us take the time to, to learn about FDR and think about his values and try to live his legacy, uh, we may have a, you know, a slightly better world as we as we move forward. Oh, such such a great message. And listen, folks, we end every show with a quote, and here it is. The test of our progress is not whether we add more to the abundance of those who have much. It is whether we provide enough for those who have too little, said President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, 
where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. In the words of Mary Brocker, choose joy. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. We are the leader in live Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.